right. All right, we're going to get into Hebrews chapter 11 again here tonight. Looking forward to this evening. And uh, we think about those chains uh, breaking. We think about those, those jails that it mentioned there about shaking. I, I can't help but think about Acts 16 when Paul and Silas sang in the midst of the... After being beaten wrongly, wrongly and falsely accused, chained in the middle part of the, of the jail itself, and uh, at midnight there's a great earthquake. Now they sang psalms and hymns, the Bible says. They were singing and praising God, and all those other soldiers, oh, I'm sorry, all those other prisoners uh, witnessed them, knowing they were falsely accused, and here they were praising God. And we, we heard a wonderful testimony from Brother Jay and his family in the midst of the storm of Hurricane Ian uh, rolling down on them. And even though they have lost everything, they sat in the living room or in the upstairs and they just praised God and were singing uh, what greatness God is. Amen and amen. He is a blessing. Hebrews in chapter 11 tonight, we're going to get into this very first part of this uh, sermon series. It should take about three Sunday evenings. But the Bible says in Hebrews 11, verse 32 through 34 again, it says, And what shall I more say if a time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, and of Samson, of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, again for allowing us to be here this evening. We pray. That you give us guidance, direction, and mercy. You lift us up, dear God, we pray this evening. Uh, let us hear from on high tonight, dear God. Now pray through the preaching and teaching of your word. Lord, we would be tender and touched in our heart and our mind. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen and amen. So the famous Gideon, Gideon's name, his name means warrior. And what a blessing it is when we stop to think about who he is. We begin to break down his life tonight. And in just a, a small, small way, uh, there's going to be three points to the sermon, not necessarily this one, really to the entire series. And as I began to work on this throughout the week last week, I, I saw how much information was there and how much we had, and I thought, good night, I'm not going to try to cram that into one Sunday evening, we're going to make this and, and break it apart. So we'll go over one point tonight in this, uh, this introduction of who and what Gideon is, as we'll see his life in Judges here in just a moment. But his life, guys, we can find out what it takes to be this warrior, what it takes to be a, a fighter in the days when, when there's so much passivity uh, taught to amongst young men and young ladies and, and, and children today. And we understand that Gideon is from the tribe of Manasseh, and we're going to see all of that here in just a little bit. And, and uh, he, he's part of this, this judge who set Israel free from their oppressors. Now, Gideon is a powerful name. We understand that. We find uh, his, his first mention, he was threshing wheat. We'll see that verse in a second. It's a pretty exciting verse. But he's threshing wheat. You've got to keep in mind that Israel had turned their back on God. And throughout the book of Judges, they served the Lord, and then they didn't serve the Lord. So they served the Lord, and then the, they have the oppressors come in, and then they are under bondage, whether it be the Midianites or the Philistines or whomever it may be. And on the, it just went back and forth over and over and over and over and over throughout the book of Judges. So when, when they repented and turned back toward God, God would give them a deliverer. We talked about Samson before. You see Barak was one of them. Deborah was associated with Barak. And, and all of this, that. now we're in the life of Gideon that we're looking at. And so Gideon, they're under these oppressors of the Midianites, and the Midianites were wretched, wretched people. And so he's over there threshing wheat that we'll find in just a moment, knowing quite well that he could thresh all this wheat, get all the work done, and the Midianites could just show up and take it all from him. And he knew it. So we're going to see that he was actually hiding 
while he was doing these things. And so we want to understand that what happens first and foremost here in, in the book of Judges is what's known as a theophany. A theophany is the pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we find it many, many times in the Old Testament. And it's a reference of the angel of the Lord. We understand the biblical definition of the word angel means appearance as opposed to messenger, as you've heard uh, probably in our modern days. It's an incorrect interpretation by all means. And so we find here this theophany occurs. And we see in Judges chapter 6 and in verse 11, the Bible says, And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was in Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash the Abazarite. And the son of Gideon, okay, threshed wheat by the winepress, watch this, to hide it from the Midianites. I love the fact. Here's what I love about this, about Gideon. The first time that he's mentioned, the first time that he's brought up, you know what he's, do you know what he's seen doing? He's working. He's laboring. He's not only laboring, guys, he's working knowing full well that he's taking his life into his own hands, knowing that all of his labor could be for naught. So he's hiding in a wine press, threshing the wheat, separating the things in there, the holes and all this and that, so that he can feed his family, his mom's dad, and all this part of, the, of this tribe of Manasseh that he was associated with. But he's doing so in hiding from those who were the oppressors. Now, you say, why is that such a big deal? It's a big deal because in the society we live in today, people are going to think about themselves first. You know what they're going to do? They're going to hide and do nothing. They're going to hide in a corner somewhere and afraid of the Midianites. Or say, hey, Midianites, you tell us what we can do and you know, do something for us. He took his own life. And he put his, own, his life in their hands. He took it and risked his life, if you will, this farmer as a worker to go out there and thresh this wheat. I mean, he risked danger, guys, life and limb. And I really find it not even a mistake that, that the angel of the Lord, that God, would take this farmer and transform him, transform him into a general, a mighty, mighty warrior. We see another one who, by the name of Shagmar, good at... Good at uh, illustration here. He was a, evidently a plowman, the Bible says. And in Judges 3.31, he, he speaks of this plowman. He says, which slew the Philistines 600 men with an ox goat. And he, and he also delivered Israel. You know what an ox goat is? An ox goat is a stick with a little uh, blade or a stone or some kind of sharp piece on the very end. And in order to get the cat, get the ox to move uh, the, the wagons or move the, the carts or whatever they may be moving, they would stick them in the backside. A beautiful illustration of that is in the conversion of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter uh, 9. So the Lord Jesus Christ appears unto Paul, and he said, It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Okay, that prick was on the end of that ox goat. So the Lord was telling of Paul, You're acting like an animal is what you're acting like. And see, when people would stab that ox in the backside, it would kick, but it would go. Mm -hmm. And so here's this Shagmar, this farmer turned into warrior. He slew 600 Philistines, basically with a stick with a point on the end of it. I, I thought that was pretty pretty uh, valiant, if you will. Cincinnatus was another one from the uh, that was taken from the plow. He was made dictator and commander-in-chief of the Roman armies, but he was a farmer. He was a laborer. He was work. So Gideon is threshing wheat in private, lest being robbed by the Midianites once it was finished and the work was done. He, took his, he, he put his life out there. He endangered his life in order to provide for his family. So we're going to pick up in the story here about Gideon in uh, Judges chapter 6, verse 12. The Bible says, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Now keep in mind, what is he doing? He's threshing wheat. 
He ain't out slowing anyone. He's not leading an army. He hasn't done anything but be a farmer. And yet the Lord says, Thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And, and the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hands of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? All right, this is how we know the angel of the Lord is the Lord. Gideon was chosen to defend the Lord's people from the, uh, the opposing hand of the Midianites. He had no idea. I mean, they were sent there, the Midianites in all fairness, they were sent against Israel because the people had turned their back against God and began to serve uh, the false god Baal. We see that even today. It may not be called Baal, but they're still, they were serving this false fertility god Baal. So God said, okay, fine, I'll bring the oppressors in there. You're now going to be put under their control. And uh, Today, guys, we are, we're in a period of time where in our world, wars are fought all over the world. I mean, in the recent decades, we've seen the uh, we've seen the war on terror, the war in Iraq, the war in Afghanistan. We've seen Israel battle Hezbollah and Lebanon, and as well as Syria. And missiles today are aimed right at Damascus and uh, Egypt and Iran and Russia and Venezuela and North Korea. All of these are aiming with the attack against Israel. We see it before our eyes. And most recently, Ukraine being attacked by Russia. And I'm not sure where you know that's going to end up, guys. I do believe there's more there than we know about. But nonetheless, there's wars all in our area and our world today. Matter of fact, the Six-Day War, the Egyptians fled so fast that they left their boots in the sand. The sand. They literally ran out of their boots, guys. Thankfully, we're not seeing these conflicts and wars in our own land right now. We're not seeing, and again, it doesn't mean that we don't have a battle. It doesn't mean that we don't have a war on our own hands. We have a war going on here, and in my mind, I believe we have a war in our world today that is much worse than any of the aforementioned we have in our land a spiritual warfare, a battle between good and evil, between darkness and light, a battle. Guys, here on our own soil, in our own homes, in our own villages, in our own town, our own cities today, between heaven and hell. And we're going to have to decide where we're going to land, who we're going to stand up for. Satan's leading the charge like a crazed animal. And I don't believe, as a believer today, we do not have the option to be a conscientious objector. That does not factor in when you're a child of God. You cannot do so. You have to be drawn into the battle. Gideon's instructions from God we find to be a beautiful New Testament application to the Christian. And we're going to see how it moves forward tonight. But God had to do some separating first. There was a test that he had to do. First, let's look at the instruction to gather this army to go out against the Ammonites as the Lord had already proclaimed. Judges chapter 6, verse 16, and we'll go down to 35 and 34. It says, And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the many nights as one man. Okay? But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, and Ebenezer uh, was gathered after him, and he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who also was gathered after him. And he sent messengers in Asher, and Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they came to meet them. Now this is beautiful here if you see this. All of these groups came to meet them. All these men begin to gather together behind this farmer turned general. It's amazing, isn't it? It's just amazing. As a matter of fact, when everything was done and said, all the gathering, everybody came forth. 32,000 men came into the midst of battle. They came and got behind Gideon. Now, I, I, you know, I want to go back just a little bit to when the news was given to Gideon. I want you to imagine yourself tonight if this was you. 
if this came to your life, if you were put into the middle of where you had to take a stand, going back to where the news was given, going back to where Gideon answered to the Lord uh, when the Lord told him, you're going to deliver Israel. Here he is threshing wheat out of fear, if you will, the Midianites doing it in a wine press, trying to keep everything silent. And the Lord said, by the way, you're going to deliver. Have not, have not since you, I've told you to do this. And he's like, whoa, hang on a second. Judges chapter 6, verse 15. And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? He says, Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh. And I, out of all the people in Manasseh, my family is the poorest, right? And then he says, And I am the least in my father's house. Think about this for just a second. The Lord comes to him. He's living in this oppressed environment. He's hiding uh, uh, threshing wheat. He's a worker. He's a laborer. But his confidence level that he was going to do anything like this in the midst of battle was zero. As a matter of fact, if we could get underneath zero, it was probably underneath zero. He's looking at his heritage. He goes, I don't have the background for it. We're just farmers. He's looking at his family. He goes, we're the poorest of the family. We don't have the means. He's looking at himself saying, out of everybody even in my family who's the poorest of the poor, Man, I'm the least of everyone. I can't do anything. And the Lord says, haven't I told you this? Have, haven't I said that I'm going to... It reminds me of Moses when, when the, the angel of the Lord appeared in Moses out of the burning bush. And he says, listen, i got problems speaking. I can't speak. And he says, wait a second. Who, who am I? You tell him I am that I am. That's simply. And we fast forward back where we left off. 32,000 men showed up to support this farmer. This guy that was threshing wheat just before now. And I just wonder, maybe ask yourself this question. I wonder, when 32,000 men showed up for the midst of the battle, here's a guy who said, I'm nothing, I'm the least, my family is the poorest. Manasseh's not even, we're a weak tribe. And of the weak tribe, we're the poorest in the tribe. And of the poorest in the tribe, my family's the, the weakest. And of the weakest of the family is me. And now you're telling me that I'm going to do this? And then 32,000 people gather around. 32,000 come to get his back. Do you think that would lift up his self-esteem just a little bit? I'd say so. I mean, do you think that would be a little bit of an encouragement? I would say, I think so. I'd be like, my goodness, look at all the people who just rolled in here. Man, ooh, maybe I'm not just a farmer threshing wheat by the line. Maybe I got what's got. Maybe I have what the right stuff is that God's looking for. 32,000 show up. God had a plan. This is what I love about it. There was a test that had to happen before the battle. 32,000 is a large number, isn't it? That's a lot of people, man. But there was a test for the battle. And the first was the test. It's the only point we'll cover tonight. A couple sub-points, but this is the main point. There was a test of courage. I'm going to say this in the onset. You have already in your life been tested of courage. And you're going to be tested of courage tomorrow and tonight and the next week and for the rest of your life on this earth. Judges 7 says, Then Jerubal, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him, that's that 32,000 lot, rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod, so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Moray in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee, are too many. Now I'm saying, well, wait a second now. These many nights are tough people. But the Lord said, you know what? It's too many for me to give the many nights into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Here's the test. Now therefore go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, 
Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned of the people twenty and two thousand. There remained ten thousand. Now, did you just see what happened, guys? Did you just see what happened? Get this. If you're afraid, go home. Okay? If you're fearful, you need to go on home. You can go cook. You can do that. But, you know, but go home. Stonewall Jackson said, never put an unproven man in the, in the front lines because the noise of the battle will drive him to the rear. Guys, 22,000 got up and went. Now, let's look at that self-esteem now. I had 32,000. I said, if you're afraid, go home. 22,000 of them left. 10,000 is still a big number, but good night, man. What about the rest of this lot? What, what are they hiding in there? We'll get to that in weeks come. God is showing in the midst of the conquest in our life, there must be courage. We all want to be victors. We all want to win. We want to be on the winning side. But guys, you know what God cannot use? Better yet, God will not use. He won't use a coward. He never has. He will not use a coward. A coward, guys, will fit you for failure, but not for fighting. The Bible says this in 1 Timothy, or 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You know, guys, we live in a world today where people seemingly, they're just running around all over the place. They don't know where they're going. I mean, we live in a world today where people are afraid of everything, it seems. I mentioned this this morning in, in church, and... Uh, uh, that, that I read an article the other day that evangelicals, I don't know where, the, I'm sure it's probably the states because it seems like every survey. I've never in my 51 years of living had somebody call me up and ask me a religious story. Where does it come from, man? I've never had a survey done. But they get these surveys taken, and I don't know how valid they are. Um, I want to go on a rant and complain about it, but I'm not going to. Anyway, so, so I read this article about this survey done that overwhelming majority of evangelicals today uh, are suffering from rapture anxiety. And I've had my up to my eyeballs with the word anxiety today, okay? All right, I just, I've had it. You know, first off, guys, the rapture of the church is a real thing. We understand that. First Thessalonians chapter 4, second Thessalonians chapter 2, Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51 and onward. It's a proven biblical fact. Here's another proven biblical fact. You ain't going to figure it out. All right? There ain't nobody on this planet knows when it's going to happen. And there's a reason why. Because we are, we are so, we are procrastinators to the nth degree. I love a scheduled, written life. I like my tick boxes. That's the way I, I live. But I promise you right now, if taxes are due on the 31st of October, I'm doing it on the 31st of October. That's it. I hate it. I hate taxes. When am I going to fill up? When my light's blinking and screaming, going, son, you're going to run out of fuel. That, I did that two weeks ago. I know exactly how much fuel my car takes now. Exactly. I'm saying all that, guys, to make this point. We, we have people questioning the authority and the validity of the Word of God because things aren't happening according to their plan. And whatever ducks they threw on the floor, it didn't add up. And it didn't happen on the feast of the trumpets. My goodness, man. Just work. The Bible says, occupy it till I come. It has never told us to figure out when he's coming back. Not one time are we commanded to figure it out. You understand? Yeah. So I'm just saying that we live in this world where we're just we're perpetuating fear in our life, and fear is contagious, my friend. 
I want, I want to give you something for free tonight. Deuteronomy 20, and don't turn there. I'm going to read through it quickly. Deuteronomy 20, verse 1 says, When thou goest out to battle against thine enemies, and seeth horses and chariots, and people more than thou, be not afraid of them, for the Lord thy God is with thee, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And it shall be, when ye are come nigh unto the battle, that the priest shall approach and speak unto the people, and shall say unto them, Hear, O Israel, ye approach this day unto the battle against your enemies, lest let not your heart faint. Fear not, and do not tremble, neither be ye terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he that is going up with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. I'll skip down to verse 8. And the officer shall speak further unto the people, and they shall say, What man is there that is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go, return into his house, lest his brethren's heart faint as well as his heart. Fear is a contagious, nasty little piece of work. And if you're fearful, your counterpart's going to be fearful. It will spread through like wildfire. We've seen another example. The children of Israel were in, uh, in the wilderness. And uh, they could have gone into the promised land in less than two years. They came through Egypt. They went through the Red Sea. They complained about no food or water. God gave them water. Uh, all these things happened. Less than two years, they could have walked right over Jordan and proclaimed the land. And so you know what? Moses said, we're going to send 12 spies into the land, spy the land out. Let's just make sure, let's get a battle plan, what's going to happen. And there's two guys in there, Caleb and Joshua. These are men now. I love a Caleb and a Joshua, I'm telling you. Mm -hmm. These guys are men's men. They got a backbone, man. They ain't afraid of nothing. You know why they're not afraid of anything? Because they say, God's given me the land. He's already given it to me. Let me ask you a question. Whose name's on the deed of your house? Is it yours? Well, and yeah, obviously it is. Are you afraid to go in there? Are you afraid to take anything out of the refrigerator? Unless your wife said, don't take it out. I don't know. I mean, you know are you no, you're not afraid. Why? Because it's, it's yours. It's in your name. There was no different with the promised land here. And 12 spies went down to spy out the land. Ten of them were afraid. Two of them were faithful. And this is what happened when they returned. And Numbers 13 and verse 30 says, And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Why is he saying that? Because God already said, I'll give it to you. It's yours. It's the promised land. Okay? And then here's what the ten replied back. Notice what it is. I've underlined a part on your screen. Numbers 13, 31 through 33. But the men that went up with him said, we, are, we be not able to go up against the people. For they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched out the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that uh, we saw in it were of great stature. And there were we saw the sons of Anak, these giants. We saw giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we, watch this, and we were on our own side as grasshoppers. We were just insects. And so we were in their sight. Then the next chapter in verse 1 says, And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. They began to murmur against the Lord, began to complain. They looked to go back to Egypt to be a slave rather than go in and proclaim the land that God said, By the way, it's yours. I've given it to you. The fear of ten souls spreads faster than the faith of two. 
Guys, I'm telling you, what a shame we have today where men and women are afraid to stand up for what is right, to stand up for their faith, to stand up for a, for a faith and stand firm on it. Beloved, faith, guys, I'm going to tell you right now, faith that is not worth standing for is no faith at all. Mm-hmm. Remember our text in Hebrews 11, the Bible says, by faith, through faith, not fear, subdued lambs. Guys, there are three kinds of fear in one's life restricting people from serving God. There is a fear of God. I'll tell you that. I'm not talking about a reverential fear. There should be a reverential fear of God. But there, a reverential fear every Christian should have. But there's a fear to serve Christ because they're either not living right or they're afraid of who or what it's going to cost them in their life. Friends or family. I can remember when God put it on my heart, convicted me. I was saved. I was born again. But He began to to peel things away in my life. And I remember friends that I ran around with and family members that I even had. I don't have a large family, but, but I remembered these things and I had to take a stand on what was the right thing. And I knew that I was going to lose them. I, I, and and there's, a, there's a guy, a friend of mine named Stu, I remember. I used to train with him quite often. And I missed Stu. And I, I, I got to witness him in the gym and, and we, we were talking one another. We're working out together and, and uh, we were talking and talking and talking about it. He goes, listen, I'm going to tell you, man. He goes, I tried it. He said, I was raised Catholic. He goes, I don't like it. I don't want anything to do with it. And it wasn't was just a few days and things began to happen where Stu was no longer in my life. There are people today who will refuse to stand up for God because of fear of what God may ask them to do. You never know. They may ask you to leave this country and send you somewhere else. Happened to us. Never in my life thought it would happen. Matter of fact, I was planning on being buried on our property right there in Tennessee. Never planned on leaving Tennessee. And here I am in Wales today. The first thing that happens when a person is fearful about what God's going to do is they start pulling away from the Lord. We know that. What happened to Adam? Adam, they, they, Adam transgressed against God. What was the first thing they did? They hid themselves. I believe many people are hiding themselves and hiding their God-given talent today because simply they're afraid of what God will do with it. I, I can understand it, but I am telling you here tonight, that's not a fear that you want in your life. Fear is not of God. I'm here to tell you that here this evening. Romans 8.15 says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again uh, to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in the love. Fear is a sign of paganism. The apostates in, in, in the world today, they're teaching and preaching through deception. And all of it may sound fluffy and sound you know, nice and eloquent, but the tradition has led them in fear. And it's bonded in fear. And it's holding the people in bondage. How many people in here any time in their life, any time, child, whatever, had a fear of the dark? Had a fear of the dark? Okay. Those of you that raise your hand... It's really not the dark you're afraid of, because the dark can't do anything. It's what may be in the dark that you're afraid of, right? Like spiders. They're there. I know they are. Okay? That's the only right fear to have is the fear of spiders. If you have that, you're okay. Yeah, <laughs> But I can remember, I remember like my kids, and we lived on that farm. My kids, like if they left the shop light on, which is a pretty good distance away, <laughs> I'd say, go turn the light out. Oh, but daddy, it's dark. I don't care. You left it on, go turn it out. And I would make them walk out there. 
and you'd see them with the tails tucked. I mean, they're walking as quick as they can, and they're running all the way back, and they flip that light off. That's what they would do, and I understood that. But I was teaching them a lesson. There's nothing out there to be afraid of. You're going to have to overcome this fear. Go turn the light on, because it's costing me money. That's why I'm going to turn it off. Guys, there is the fear that people have of God of what He may command and have you do in your life. There is the fear of failure that I believe many people today are suffering from. There are, there are some Christians in the realm uh, who, can, who can sing, who can teach, who can witness, who can have the ability to speak to people. But they, are, they are, have a fear of failure in their life. And therefore they don't take that stand to do what God has given them the ability to do. There's the fear of the future, guys. There's a fear of the future. What about this? Beloved, I'm convinced that we live in a most faithless generation of all today. I, I just believe that. When I believe in all of my life that we should, be, we should have the greatest faith of any generation before us. This entire book here, that men have, 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 have you know, lost their lives and have hazarded their lives over, it's unfolding before us. We're watching it unfold, these final days, hours, months, and years. And yet we stand faithless. The fear of the future. Beloved, the future has two paths. Your future, when you leave this building tonight, has two paths, and you get to choose those paths tonight. You either go into the future with faith, or you go in the future with fear, and you've got to pick one. Beloved says, those of, the Lord says, those of you who are cowards, he said, go home. And leading up to the calling of Gideon, this farmer turned freedom fighter, guys, as, as the people begin to pray to God for deliverance, acknowledging their sins, repenting and coming before God, the Lord comes back. He comes back, and this is what he does in Judges 16. He says, I am the Lord your God. He says, fear not. Mm -hmm. Yep, you're a farmer, boy. Yep, you're in the midst over here threshing wheat. Yes, that's what you're doing, but I'm your Lord. Fear not. Do you know the word, the, the phrase fear not or something equated to that is in the Bible 365 times? One for each day, wouldn't you say? So I'm going to close with this thought here and I want you to go home with it. There's three types of people that we find in our world. We find the fearful today. Those are the cowards who will not take a stand. They have no backbone. I'm going to say this. There are the foolish and those are the people who don't have sense enough to be afraid. Okay, There are those out there today. But below there's the faithful. And that's where Gideon was found. There was that wonderful warrior that was found. He's the one that knows their Bible, who believes the Bible by trusted by faith, and because of that, they're able to take a stand and do the right thing despite what happens around them. And they become the faithful. And that's the warriors tonight. That's the one right there that God is looking to use, the one that takes that stand. The one that says, you know what, I'm not going to be afraid. God hasn't given me the spirit of fear, but he's given me the spirit of power and of love, and of sound We bow your heads tonight. Father, again, I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity and time to be together. I pray now that you give us guidance and grace. Take this message right upon the table of our hearts. And I pray, dear Lord, if there be anything here this evening, fearfulness in our hearts and lives is keeping us from serving you to the fullest. I ask you, Lord, to reveal it unto us. Make it manifest in our hearts and minds. Allow us to repent, and through mighty prayer, dear God, we pray that you give us the victory. I do love you, and I thank you, Lord. I thank you for the testimony that you've given us in Gideon, this mighty warrior, this man that delivered Israel, Lord, from their oppressors. And I pray that we too today would be found warriors standing 
on faith that we may be pleasing to thee. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 I hope and pray that the preaching and teaching of the Word of God is a blessing to you this evening. We are going to... Uh,